This program is brought to you by Rosie the Riveter Trust, the official nonprofit sponsor of Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historic Park, located in Richmond, California. Rosie the Riveter Trust supports the National Park's public education programs and the historic preservation of the World War II Homefront, including stories from real Rosies who inspire that we can do it spirit that initiated the still ongoing transformation of the American workplace to one of inclusion, diversity, and equity. Support the Trust's mission of equality and empowerment and purchase official Rosie gear by visiting rosytheriveter.org forward slash shop. Enter the promo code FIXSKIN at checkout to receive a 10% discount. You're listening to Thick Skin, and I'm your host, Alicia Crawford. This is a podcast about women, transgender, and gender non-conforming people working in the skilled trades. Today, one of my favorite straight-talking trades advocate gives us a scoop about Winter's pre-apprenticeship program. It's designed especially to address the needs of low-income women and the issues faced by the black and brown communities in the construction trades. She and her team are really making an impact. And if you have a second, go back and listen to Thick Skin Episode 2, where we meet Lynn, the founder of Winter. You'll get the full history of the organization there. Please note that all references to women in this episode are intended to be inclusive of all women-identifying and gender-expansive and gender-nonconforming people, since that is what Thick Skin is all about. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Tell me about the women who come through your programs now. So we specialize in low-income communities and at-risk communities. That means that somebody that can have the skills and the ability to go and apply in a union, they can do it directly. They don't need a pre-apprenticeship program. I'm talking about the people who really don't have the skills or the knowledge or anything, the ability to go and apply and pass a test and and interview well and all of that. We have 11 weeks of training. Women come, you know, from, from rehab programs, domestic violence shelters, homeless women, women with incarceration backgrounds. So we really specialize in the women that really, really, really need our help to get into the trade. And in and, and return, we get the most committed workers. The mentality changes in saying, I'm not a woman worker. I'm a worker. I'm an iron worker. And I'm a, and I'm a journeyman. You know, none of our women call themselves women. Yes, you're a woman. But what we need is workers. We need workers that can represent women in the workforce. The pre-apprenticeship program at Winter really gets them ready to hit the ground running in the construction trades. We teach how to use schools, how to measure math every morning, a lot of life skills in our training, and cultural skills to work in the construction and building trade. So the women that we train, you know, we introduce them to the trades mm-hmm. first. We train them, we give them certifications that are recognized by the trade, and, and then we introduce them to the apprenticeships. We go to the site and introduce them to the apprenticeship coordinators and the people that they need to talk to 
our hope is that the end of the 11 weeks that they are with us, that they already know what trade they want to follow. Alex explained to me, pre-apprenticeship applicants need three or four things depending upon their situation. They need to prove that they meet the low-income requirement, and they need to prove residency, just that they have a place to live. That's not about immigration status. They have to have a work permit or a green card if they are immigrants. And lastly, everyone must have a high school diploma or a GED. Not everyone comes ready with all of those things. This is what I found really incredible. If an applicant needs help with any of this, a caseworker from Winter will guide them and support them through the process so they can meet the requirements and then come back and apply for the pre-apprenticeship program at Winter. It's really a one-stop shop. Part of your curriculum is looking at understanding the culture prior to them arriving on a work site, prior to an apprenticeship. What does that include exactly? What are you readying them for in terms of culture? It's 400 hours of training. Wow. That must be intense for them. Very intense. And there's a lot of information. The first week is all life skills. What is the construction and building trade? What are the apprentices? How everything works? How to rent an apartment? How to open a bank account? All of that stuff that we take for granted, people don't know it. So we need to ensure that they understand and they're prepared, that they have childcare ready, that they have uh, stable housing, that they have everything ready to go to work. Because if you don't address all of those issues, you graduate people from your program, and guess what? They're not ready to go to work. The winter program is really dedicated and extremely serious about getting women ready for the construction trades. And we have very strict rules in our program, and they learn by doing. For example, our program starts at 7 a.m. They have to be there at 6.30 a.m. The door opens at 6 in the morning. They have to be there at least a minimum of half an hour before. That's a cultural thing. That's something that happens in the work time. You don't walk at 6 in the morning or if your foreman says, I need everybody here at 6.30. You don't walk in at 6.30. You're there before. Because that's when you go get your tools, you, you get your orders, you know, your marching orders, you get to talk to your foreman or whatever. And we don't permit long nails long hair or hair, loose hair, they have to comb their hair in a bun or uh, no makeup, no perfume, uh, no paint and nails either. So we're preparing workers in the sense that this is how you're going to look and this is how you're going to dress when you get to a work site. And they have uniforms, long sleeve shirts. They cannot cut the shirts. They have to wear their hard hats. They have to wear their protective equipment all the time. They have to carry their tools the whole the whole time they're in their site. Except when they sit in the classroom to do math and all of that. But it is a cultural about language, sexual harassment prevention, all kinds of stuff. At the end, they have to decide what trade they want to be in. We provide case management. We provide placement. And we provide retention services until they become journeyman. The word empower gets a lot of use these days, and sometimes it feels patronizing or even meaningless as the English language struggles to keep pace with social change. Alex has her own take on it. You don't empower anyone. You empower yourself. But you can guide them as women, as feminists. You can guide people to where they can find that power in themselves because it's there. The light is in there. The power is in there. 
they have it and they can just cultivate that to become, you know, kick-ass women. <laughs> What's your most recent numbers about total of women placed and continued on successfully? Of our program, we have about 99% success rate when it comes to the placement. And I, and I tell women this, and I tell people, if you want to work, I can place you. So we have really high expectations and really high placement rate, but we have excellent, excellent, even better retention rate. In all of my years, 18 years, I only had three people who had dropped out of their apprenticeship. It's because when you go into a career like that, you don't let it go. You're making money. So part of that is that we truly believe that it doesn't matter how good your training is if there's no jobs at the end of the day. You can have a really good training program, but if there's no jobs, what's the point? Alex explains to me how she literally single-handedly connects her clients with those doing the hiring the contractors and developers, and the really big fish, city and county officials, and their public works programs. Vocabulary fun fact, a PLA is a project labor agreement, and that is the document that determines who will be doing the work at a new construction site. Right now, the the union trades sign a contract with, or a PLA, well, we call it a PLA, they call it a MOU with the county. So everything new that is being built in the county is under a project labor agreement. Yeah, but these jobs are for internal public works. We're I'm working with the city and the county and other cities to increase the number of women that work for public works. Because there's there's very few women and they're really good jobs. Yeah. And a lot of those jobs are under not living wage but prevailing wage. Prevailing wage for any public works means that even if you're an apprentice, you're still going to be making $34 minimum a, um, an hour. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Yeah. So working with them, working with the CEO of the county, working with the mayor's office and trying to push for, for them to really look at those jobs and how very few women are included in those jobs. We have 52% of, of the population of the, 13 million people in Los Angeles, 52% are women, and they're not included in those jobs. Does the city have numbers they need to meet in terms of hiring women? Do they have those numbers that they need? No. No. Last year, we started the conversation because they do have a number that they want to meet for city employees that have a diversity goal, but the construction and building trades were not included. It was just for city employees, and they, 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 they keep boasting about, well, you know, we have so many commissioners that are more women than men, and we have this, and we have that, and then I, I keep asking, so what about your uh, public works department? How many of those are women? And they were like, uh, 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 and like, oh, let, let's work on that. Let me help you. I know how to do this. Stand back. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with that. Yeah, watch me get this fixed for you. We talked about the slow uptick in the diversity of the construction workforce. Also explored in episode two, it's a slow slogging change, but it is happening. We have a lot of work to do. We do have a lot of work to do. 
we need more of us to be talking about it. And now we have, you know, the commissioners talking about it, and I meet with people, and then they start talking about it. Yeah. And then I say, you know, I really like it because before, 18 years ago, I went to um, city council meetings, and I was the only one talking about women. Or I went to meetings and I always say, okay, so that's great that you're going to build a new bridge, but how many of there are going to be women? Please include women into the, the conversation. They used to say, oh, my God, there comes Alex. She's going to talk there about women. <laughs> she's got her drum. We know what she's going to say. <laughs> There's such a strength to that, don't you think? That they know you're always going to hold them accountable for this issue. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was telling my, my friend the other day that the, one of the most memorable for me, I was trying to really get the city of Long Beach to include, they were establishing a project labor agreement, and I was advocating for them to include a local hire policy, because it's two different things, two different documents, and they they were refusing to do it, and I met with every single council person in there talking about the benefits of this all of the building that we're going to do in a a new civic center and that i wanted them to include a a local higher policy and one of the councilmen said so what do you want me to do and i said i want you to be my gladiator (laughs) for women i want you to be our gladiator i want you to be the, the person who goes out there and fights for this for women in this community and then his, his, his chief of staff was sitting right there, and he looked at me, and he goes, Alex, gladiators die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, they didn't do it. <laughs> they didn't. They did not. They did not. They did not. They build, they're still building. And I haven't been able to place not even one person. I mean, if we have to get really honest about their lack of cooperating with this idea is it really just about money in some way and that they have a perception that they're going to lose money because they're hiring a woman who might not be skilled which we know isn't true but is that what it's about they do have a project labor agreement but they didn't have a hire policy the contractors don't feel any obligation to hire you know to meet any numbers does hiring women in their mind affect their bottom line you know, no, I, I think what it is is that most contractors want to keep their good employees with them, and it doesn't matter where they live. They'll bring them from Orange County. They'll bring them from all over the place. They want to finish the project fast mm-hmm. and without any problems and without getting people uh, in and out. So I understand where they're coming from, but... The obligation in my mind and, and my mission is that they should include a, a strong local hire policy so we can then take advantage of that and really give them really good employees that are not going to let go. So I get what they're saying now. I mean, I get what you're saying. They're saying we have a well-oiled machine. We have a team that works. We right. don't want to throw any unpredictable people or situations into it. Just let us come in, do our job. We're going to be fast. We're going to keep it on budget, keep it on time, and we're done. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So we need to just educate them that they're going to get employees that are really going to add to their team and not be a problem. 
in Los Angeles, an average project has about 6% women, which is very low, mm-hmm. but it still is better than 2%. <laughs> is that where you started? Was it 2%? We started with some, one of the projects had 0% women and others had 1%, others ones had 2%. So now, and i give you an example. They're building a bridge on, on 6th Street in Los Angeles, and we had 38 women working there. 38. And it was like, it was, it was incredible. Wow. <laughs> so we had 38 women working in that site alone. So that means that, you know, it might be not a little bit more than 7, 8% of workers, but that is a lot of women in, in one work site. A metro project, they have the, there's one project, there's underway, which is the, the regional connector of metro. We have about 20 women working there. You know, we're making a difference in Los Angeles in the way uh, our contractors see women workers. Mm-hmm. They know that women can do it now. The perception has changed with our contractors, the people that we work with. I'm attending meetings to just talk to them and say, this is, this is what we do. This is the certificates they have. This is the type of training they have. This person already applied in the union. They already passed the, the entrance exams. They already passed the interview. They're just waiting for placement. So they feel more comfortable that way. This is really about changing their mindset. Yes. And generations of a male-dominated field. And not only with our contractors, but also in our community. You know, in our community, it's the people of color, which is mostly low-income families. They also have that mentality that, oh, I don't want my kid to, to be in the trades. I want them to go to college. And it's fantastic if you can go to college. But what if you can't? What if you don't want to? What if your skills really do lie elsewhere? This is a conversation that keeps coming up, is that college for all has really reduced the, the positive image that the skilled trades could have. Exactly, exactly. In the last couple of weeks, I placed two young people that used to be in our charter school. Uh, and one, one is a carpenter and the other one is a, a sprinkler fitter, uh, 19-year-old, both of them. And they're, making, they're going to be making more money than I'm making. What do we need to do to just let young women know that this is an option to get them excited about even just entertaining, working with your hands, with your body, you know, and enhancing those skills or just exploring it and trying it, how do we get to them and how do we get them excited about this to help change the face of the industry? If we really want to change the face of construction, we need to prepare people well. I truly believe that we need to educate adults. We have an educational system, at least here where, you know, where I stand, that glamorizes college and demonizes trade. People get offended. Uh, people say, oh, don't tell my kid that, that, that they can be an electrician. The school system, for example, and I'll give you an example. We do a lot of outreach and recruitment. Anytime somebody will ask us to come and speak to a prison, a parole meeting, a rehab program, high schools, we go. They always, even though I have gone to the same schools for years and I talk to the counselors that invite us to go, they always put a room of all of the kids who are failing. They're picking out the kids who are failing and saying, here's your crop? 
Yep. So I always tell, please have students who are smart in math. They are good with their hands. Those are the kids that I want. So they ha we have to change that. We have to change the way counselors see the, the traits and those careers. Because I always tell, well, we don't offer jobs. We offer you a career. Like many advocates in the trades, Alex also wants an entire rebranding so that people of all gender identities can see a future for themselves in the trades. We really need a massive, massive uh, marketing campaign with the face of women and billboards everywhere you go that outside the, and I always tell my contractors, I said, I want to see that you have a picture of women in your signs outside. Yeah. You know, the signs that says you must wear a hard hat, you must wear yes, this. Yes, I just saw one the other day. I always tell them, I want to see a woman. Get one of your, get one of your workers here. So we do need that awareness. So young women can walk around their neighborhoods and there's something construction. Oh, look, it's a woman in the picture. And there's signs. You know, so that's one of the things that I want the mayor of Los Angeles to do is to do a massive campaign of women in the trade, women building Los Angeles. I want to focus on the opportunity that a rebranding of the industry could provide for our economy, not just women and their families, but our whole economy, right? The whole economy. And it's not only women, you know, people of color, African-American males are a minority yeah. in the construction and building trade. Uh, and, you know, the, the majority of women, if you go look around the country, the majority of women in the trade are white women. So it, uh, people of color are also, with the exception of Latino men, it's really rare that you find women of color in the trade. In, in, in Los Angeles, you look at, at how many African-American and Latina women are, and that's what we do. We train Latina. We train Asian women. We train white women, too. They apply, everybody that applies it is low income because there's a lot of women who are Caucasian that are low income and we train them too. But we really look and do our reach and recruit low income communities. And the majority of low income people are people of color, the so called minorities. <laughs> They're not minorities in Los Angeles, but. <laughs> That's right. And what an amazing opportunity for our economy and for our country to keep jobs here if more women were hired and the ripple effect that would have on their families, the income for their families, the stability for their families, and, and then their children. And I keep saying, I keep saying that childcare in our communities, it is so important because it's a workforce development or community development issue. And we need to see it like that, not just childcare is just a you know, take care of kids. It's not. It's part of the collaboratives that helps women go to work. If you don't have the, the support system, you can't go to work. Because I always say, if you train um, a woman, it, it will really help the, the family and then their children and their community. When you look at 100 women placed over a year, yes. you're affecting thousands and thousands of people. That's the kind of conversations I have with my public officials. It's like, you really want to make a change in community development? Think about childcare. Think about housing. Think about jobs for women. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, and, and thank you for your interest in really 
uh, helping us change the face of construction and, and changing the way, the perception of who are construction workers. So thank you. Follow us at Thick Skin Podcast. Hashtag Women Trades Podcast. That's women with an X. This show is produced by me, Alicia Crawford, and original music by Eric Corson. Sending huge thank yous to all of the generous donors who make this show possible. We'll catch you next time on Thick Skin.